To listen to this podcast, you must sign all the proper paperwork. I've gone ahead and done all the forgery for you. Stay tuned for Hilda. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and copious amounts of paperwork. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're getting into the world of Hilda. And I'm just so excited that we're talking about Hilda again. Yes, it's magnificent. I'm excited we're spending a whole episode talking about it and not just like five minutes in passing. Right. Watch this show. That's all we have to say. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely one of my favorites from 2018. Well, it's for me personally. And before we get into our main topic, just just fanboying a little bit about Hilda. um, It is very difficult to get my six year old son, Jack, to watch new shows. He usually sticks to one and then stays on it. And then getting him to transfer to something else is very hard. Um, We watched one episode of Hilda and he was all in. He's ready to watch it. And it's very rare that it's like, usually for the things that he watches, if one of the family members isn't there, it's fine because you're probably going to nod off anyway. (laughs) But everyone is ready for it everyone's like what we're gonna watch hilda okay and it becomes this event and we're just really excited by it what's just so hooga which i so i rewatching the episode at one point hilda's sitting on the couch drinking like a tea or uh, probably not coffee but she's drinking something (laughs) under a blank she's like uh it's i'm really enjoying the coziness in here right now and i was like aha Mm -hmm. scandinavian coziness there's a word for this and it's really in right now. Um, so I think I'm saying this right. Huga, Huga, something like that. Um, <laughs> H-Y-G-G-E is a Danish word for like the feeling of coziness and being comfortable. Mm. It's like a, a family. Everything is great. I'm surrounded by things that I love. It's the whole like hipster Scandinavian, like vintage thrift store feel that you get here. Sure. And the show feels very Huga to me. <laughs> I think that's the best and most awkward way that could be used to describe it. I think. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's terrific. Um, it does feel comfortable, and it and it feels. I I don't know how they do it in terms, and maybe we'll find out as we investigate it today. But how do they make? something so fantastical feel so comfortable yet so grounded yet so magical yet also so heartfelt yet scary but not freaking out scary but like dangerous oh that's it it has danger but it's not scary like it's i don't know how they do it it has it's it's like they rounded off some edges, but it doesn't feel false or fake or overtly childish. It just Huga. I don't know. How to say it. <laughs> there you go. There we Huga. go. Huga. Huga. Hilda is Huga. So what is to for to help those folks who have not watched Hilda yet? Um can you say in about a sentence what Hilda is? Hilda is a animated show about a little girl who lives a whimsical life, but also everything whimsical that she sees is also real and treated as like mundane and boring by the adults. Yes. And... Okay, we'll get to it. Thank you. Please remind me about the thought I just had. Uh, I'll I'll do my best. <laughs> hey, Chris, remember that thing? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's um, it's an interesting world because it's always 
from a writing perspective, there's multiple layers happening at any given time, which as like a young kid just watching it and enjoying the show, you don't need to be aware of any of it happening. But as an adult and specifically a writer, you really appreciate how it's being done as it's happening. It's it's very literary in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's very, if you want to describe the way it's done, it's very literary. Um, it's, I mean, it's from a graphic novel series by Luke Pearson on Netflix. So it's, I just have trouble creating sentences now all of a sudden. But yeah, the, the layers and the mirroring and the meaning that everything that it lands with is really satisfying. But um, what else do we know about Hilda just in general? Um, about the plot or the main, main questions before we start spoiling things for everybody? The main questions of the show? Yes. Hmm. I think it's a lot about Hilda as a little girl finding her place in the world and being someone who comes from a different background than everyone else around her, both the fantastical people and the human children that she meets. Hmm. She's of two worlds, but she doesn't fit in either. Yeah. Or, as Phil Collins would say, Two worlds, one family. Yes, he would say that. (laughs) That's so totally Phil Collins. Um, So today on the show, what we're going to do, if you haven't seen Hilda, go watch Hilda, number one. I don't know why you haven't after hearing us speak about it in our you know, review episode talking about new things from 2018. So uh, get on that. And if you haven't seen it, we're going to go to the source. We're going to be looking at the original book, original graphic novel, Hilda and the Midnight Giant, which is the second in the Hilda Folk series. And we are going to compare it to the first two episodes of Hilda, Hilda and the um, little people. Hidden folk? Hidden folk. Little, I forget what it's called. <laughs> Hilda and the little folk, and then Hilda and the Midnight Giant. So it's a two-parter um, made up from Hilda and the Midnight Giant, the second book, second Hilda book. So, uh, oh, and you wrote it in the notes, the hidden people. I should have just looked at it. I should have looked at the notes when, instead of calling it something it wasn't. So just in general, looking at this, these adaptations and how you want to do it, um, do you want to start just big topic, big field? Yeah, big. I don't know if we've talked really about adaptation on the show before. Not in, in the way that way. we're trying to right now. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about how this was different from this, and this is different from this. But we, yeah. we haven't really gone through to look at the story and what things have changed and what things can change. I think that when you're adapting something big picture, um, you're going from one medium to another. And just by necessity, things are going to change, and they have to change. So I never understand fans when they get upset about I don't know, like a Marvel movie or something like, oh, it's not like it was in the comics. Like, yeah, of course it wasn't. It can't be. There's no way that it can be. Would you like us to just display like an iPhoto slideshow of pictures on the movie screen for you? Oh, you're going way back. iPhoto slideshow? I'm digging Jeez. deep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I never understood that either. And, and things where, well, look, it's been reinvented in the comics um so many times why can't it be different for the movies it's just a different interpretation of it if you go comics in general but then there's the other side of as you were saying going medium to medium there are different things that have to change 
because of the way they're experienced and the storytelling that is able to be done by the medium. So the way that a graphic novel tells its story is not necessarily the same way that a movie or a, or a TV show could tell the story. There's either more time or less time. I mean, that's what it breaks down to. You either have more time to tell the story or you have less time. Mm -hmm. So as an example, um, from my life, I love doing adaptations. Um, in grad school, one of my professors told me that adaptation is probably what I should do with my life. So I was like, oh, it's good to know. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Sherry. Um, and I know that when you take something like a novel and you're whittling it down to a play, which is very close to a film, you know, an hour to an hour and 10 minutes, and you're taking everything in this novel and trying to decide what stays and what goes, you're just combing through and seeing what is world building, what is space filler, what is literary, where just the language in the book is, you know, it's just a literary joke or a literary thing or something that's necessary because it's only text on a page and what is central to the story. And that's a good point too, because I think the third thing there is whether you like it or not, you're adapting it for a different audience. Mm -hmm. Your main goal is to get people who didn't experience the first time for whatever reason to experience it now. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, yeah, it's very different if you are adapting a novel for a young audience that includes three, four, five, and six-year-olds, or you're aging up to middle school, or you're aging up to high schoolers, or you're aging up to, you know, college and older. Or if you're expecting an audience that has all of them in there. Mm -hmm. So, you if you are considering your audience, which I feel like if you are making something as an artist, and here's where I don't know if I'll get in trouble. I feel like if you're an artist making art, you should think about your audience at some point in your process. Yes, but you shouldn't necessarily do things for them. You should think about them. Right, right, right. I, I think it's, it's the difference between writing. I'm trying to think of how to, how to phrase this. So writing for an audience and writing. Um, I don't even want to say with your audience, but there's a way to draw, draw in your audience to lead them where you want to go and to say, you know, are they along with you and make sure they're there? Are you a, you have to be a tour guide as opposed to someone who's just driving a car through the wilderness by yourself and hoping that people are watching you do donuts in the wilderness. I think there's a difference between like, let's all get on the bus and I'm going to lead you through this and I'm going to point your attention to different things and I'm going to control where you're looking at. And you can draw some of your own interpretations here and there, but I'm, I know where I'm taking you on this road and we're going to get there together versus, you know, it doesn't matter if you get on the bus, who cares? I don't even care. This bus can fit three people. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's mostly just full of my stuff. So I guess uh, walk behind the bus, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's a terrible metaphor. Um, Terrible there's analogy, good, but there's good I, stuff in there. Thank you. It's it's wor we'll work on it. But I, I feel like audience is key. Yeah. Um, yes. And something that I think that you said in your your bus analogy, which is partly why I liked it, is the artist as tour guide and like how much time you spend on something. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of moments in between the graphic novel and the TV episode adaptation of this. 
where the time spent doing something is different. And it's really interesting to me um, mm. how it's done that way. Um, and if you're at all into comics, your side homework for this is to go read um, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, which is basically like this 300-page tome about like the form of comic art and how to express different modes of time in sequential art. If that makes sense and excites you. Awesome. Go have fun. If it doesn't, don't worry. Not required reading. <laughs> I don't know. You had me at 300 pages. <laughs> well, it's, it's a comic about comics, so it's not like a 300-page novel about comics. Oh, well, okay. I'm slightly less excited then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, one example is, I think... Um, in the TV episode, they're early on. It shows Hilda like exploring the wilderness, and it's done very quickly in like ten seconds, magnificently by like ten quick different jump cuts to Hilda doing different things in the wilderness: jumping over a river, hiking through some snow, climbing a tree. And in the comic, that'd be really boring as a page of just that. It'd be quite emptiness, and it would feel like it takes forever if you had ten different panels of Hilda doing ten different things, saying nothing. Mm-hmm. And but they did they had to in the the TV show, and I guess um as we start telling about world building, they have to show us very quickly, which is interesting that you said, you know, it would take a long time in a in a comic, but they have to very quickly give us a sense of the world that Hilda lives in that she's a part of uh the opening shots of of the show start with the bird which will become very important in episode three i think it's the same bird yeah i feel like it is it's, um but that bird and it starts off in the town of trollberg and then we follow the bird through the wilderness, and we get to see the expanse of um, wilderness and frontier. And then we see Hilda's house, and then we go further and see Hilda out exploring. So it gives us a set, a very big sense of the three places that we need to know about at first. We get here's the city slash town. <laughs> here's here's the city of Trollberg. Here's where Hilda lives, and here's the magical world that exists. Mm -hmm. So Hilda's world, she's right there in the center. She's the the mix between everything. Yeah. But but yes, in, as you were saying, in a comic, and I think there there's nothing like that in the book in term this particular story. We start off right away in Hilda's house. And it is what we get in the first panel. Now we've had some exploration in the first book, um, Hilda and the Troll, which we did not ask you to read for your homework, dear listeners. But a lot of the opening of Hilda is taken, and I think we found out very, 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 very loosely from that first book, just to get a sense of the world. And then the real story of the Hilda show is about Hilda in Trollberg as opposed to Hilda in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so if you want to compare like where the comic and the show begin, I think after the first episode, there's like six minutes of Hilda in this troll adventure opening credits. And then after the opening credits end, that's where the comic begins. It's Hilda and her mom in the house. Yes. Spending an evening together. Hilda's reading. Um, we get the entrance of... Um, in the show, we meet the woodman, who is Jack's favorite character in Hilda. He that makes loves sense. that character. That makes sense. How does that make sense? That's a very Jack character to love. <laughs> he does love the, the characters that are just slightly off-kilter. And just have some semblance of an attitude. It just it's just really interesting what he's drawn to. Like 
Yes, that that character who just is going up. Wait, now that I think of it, I think Jack is basically the woodman. <laughs> the woodman with a little bit of launch pad mixed in. Yeah, I'm just going to walk in here and then take take your stuff. I'm not going to pay attention to you. Uh, I may acknowledge you, but not necessarily. It might just be children in general, though. <laughs> Possibly. So if, if that's <laughs> like your child, let us know at WG Animated on Twitter. <laughs> Is it just me? Is it just me? Is it just my son? I don't know. <laughs> so one thing that I noticed going from... Um show and then reading the comic book second graphic novel i'll go with graphic novel it's not really graphic novel um the color palette is the same and i thought that's a really nice touch they kept like the color palette between the show and the graphic novel world very uniform but the character designs are slightly different in the show i wanted to know your thoughts on that or if you had thoughts i did have thoughts um the character design I, I thought they would be closer in terms um, seeing the cover. I was like, oh, sweet. And then I looked at the bottom. And it's like, now on a Netflix original series. I'm like, oh, okay, the cover, they made the new cover for Netflix watchers. And then you open it up and you're like, oh, goodness, it looks, it looks different. It looks much different. Um, what we get in the graphic novel are much thicker lines, much sharper lines, much sharper pen lines, but the characters themselves, Hilda has, um, it's a little bit more extreme. Her eyes are much larger. They take up most of her face. Um, her nose is longer and pointier. Um, in the Netflix series, it's more of a, it's larger than a Disney princess nose, but it's very close. And mm-hmm. so they've, they've taken things off and they've rounded things. So it's almost like if Disney during the Lilo and Stitch era had designed Hilda characters but then somebody else took the Hilda characters from the Lilo and Stitch people and went one step further back towards the graphic novel. So is yeah. what it feels like. I don't know what the process was in terms of determining the, the design, but it feels close to the comics. It doesn't deviate that far, which is, it doesn't feel unfamiliar to look at both but you do feel a striking difference. Yeah, I think in the graphic novel, it almost sets Hilda apart a bit from the fantastical things that she encounters because all the magical creatures and beasts are all very rounded. The wafts are just spheres. The giant is rounded. Um, I think the elves are pretty round generally too. And then Hilda's very like sharp lines and triangle nose. And I have no judgment. I don't think that either design is superior. It just struck me that it was different. Yeah, and if that, I think what they're doing is, I would agree that they're they're drawing them closer together to be a single world. So it's the world of the series and not simply a delineation between here's the fantastic world and here are humans. So it's a little bit more of a cohesive world that she fits in and everyone else fits in as well. So as you start getting other characters interacting with fantastical beasts, I'm trying not to say fantastic beasts because that's something (laughs) different. (laughs) So these (laughs) these fantastical beasts and um, creatures then it doesn't cause a disconnect. It's everything feels linked and together. And so I, I don't have a preference much like you. I, it's just something to, to look at. So if you have not looked at the graphic novel and you go and take a, take a read through it, you'll start to notice the, the big differences. 
but it's it's not striking how different it is. It's striking how similar they are personally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's mostly really similar. It's like looking at like a mirror universe Star Trek version of something like, oh, yeah, that's Spock. But that Spock has a goatee for some reason. <laughs> yes, I, f- <laughs> I, I will accept that. I do personally think the only design that I think is better in the show, like clearly is Twig, the the deer fox. Yes. I feel like Twig is like way more alive and pet like in the show, just even in design, not counting movement. I would agree with that because <clears throat> I lost Twig a lot in the graphic novel. You don't notice Twig as much. Kind of blends in here and there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the horns and the expression. Yeah, I think I I prefer the show version of Twig. So the other thing that I noticed going from show to graphic novel was how much of the text and dialogue in the show was word for word what was in the graphic novel. Yeah, we we read this to Jack. Um, as a bedtime story, a couple of nights, and I was reading it out loud. I'm like, "Yeah, this is exactly what happened. This is <laughs> this is the dialogue from here, uh, all the way through. It's amazing. You don't normally see that, and I think that's one of the differences between." moving from a graphic novel or comic to something like film or TV is there's a, because they're both visual mediums, you're able to lift things almost verbatim. I think if we were making a children's play, that's where my head is right now. If you're making a children's (laughs) play, about um hilda my gosh that would be awesome anyway if you were making a children's play about hilda and the dialogue you would not be able to keep it you'd have to explain so much more and you'd have to make it more dialogue heavy because of the nature of the medium so there there would be you would have to add a lot more you'd probably be able to keep some of it yeah, and I think because the story is still the same story for the most part, you don't have to change too much to the text. So I guess it's a why would you rewrite and reinvent this when you don't have to situation. Right. That's that's a good point. It's not like because your head is here. It's not like taking Wizard of Oz and <laughs> which as a, a children's book, if you're rewriting as a children's book again today you'd you'd want to rewrite it to make the dialogue and references fit yes you you would (laughs) chris says knowingly (laughs) but it's yeah everything here i don't want to say that it's perfect but it's it's so sound like the character voices are clear you can, there's nothing extra. Everything that's here is necessary. Like moving through it, there's nothing extra that I could go in and say, oh, well, this scene, I would slice this, I would cut this up. But From the graphic novel, you mean? From the graphic novel, yeah. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, I would, it would be, I'd be hard pressed to find something to cut out. And most of it would probably be the journeying, you know, like the actual stuff between the action to mm. be all action for a good 50 minutes. <laughs> and then you could move on. But can we do you want to say anything else about things generally before we talk through this exact story and the changes that we've noticed? No, I don't think I have anything else. Um... So do you want to describe the plot, which will differentiate from story and, and <laughs> if we want to yes. be that kind of literary podcast? 
Yes, yeah, so the plot, the things that happened. The, what ha- happened was... Um, That's in, this, this, we've come to the part of our podcast of what had what happened. What had happened was... Let's <laughs> go. So the first two episodes of uh, Hilda, the Netflix show. Like uh, we mentioned earlier, begins like six minutes of Hilda in the wilderness meeting this troll, which doesn't really have anything else to do with the rest of the plot of these two episodes, but it's a really cool sequence and a great introduction to the world. It's wonderful. It's perfect. You should watch it. Ignoring it for now. So the story actually begins at the same place for um, the graphic novel and the episode where Hilda and her mom are kind of sitting at home and Hilda finds this letter outside, just a teeny, itty bitty, minuscule letter. And they open it up and say like, oh, they're threatening to destroy the house. That's the sixth one this week. <laughs> and they think nothing of it. Um, in the TV show, uh, the woodman also shows up briefly, just barges into their house, reads. and. Hilda's mom is just kind of like, oh, this guy again, whatever, and lives with it. Um, so they ignore the letter and they go to sleep and wake up to all these invisible creatures destroying their house and just trashing it. Hilda bravely chases them out and sees from a distance a giant as big as a mountain in the faraway part of the horizon. I don't know. Um... I'm trying to think of the exact sequence of events because having read the graphic novel most recently, I'm trying to remember what happens. Um, anyway, Hilda wakes up with a little elf and a stack of paperwork. It tells her to sign it so that she can see him. She sees the elf and gets a tour and they go on this adventure trying to like get the elves to not bother Hilda and her family so they don't have to move. Oh, because Hilda's mom says, if this keeps happening, we have to move. Mm-hmm. Hilda doesn't want that. She loves nature. Goes this big elf journey. Um, and it winds up they have to go see the king eventually. Uh, but her new friend Alpha warns, like, that'll take a journey. I'll be ready in two days to leave. So just bide your time. In the meantime, Hilda and her mom go to Trollberg, the city, and kind of check it out. Hilda hates Trollberg. For all, there's, like, the wonderful reasons. There's just too many people, <clears throat> and kids are afraid of school bells, and... Mm-hmm. It's just too normal. We briefly meet her future friends, um, but she doesn't know their friends yet. Right. Ron and her... I'm sorry. David. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. What, what is the other friend's name? Oh yeah, David and... Uh, what's love, her face? I love, I love David. David is more like Jack than, than anybody. Except for the bugs and the hair. Yeah, luckily. Luckily, no, thank God my child does not have bugs in his hair all the time. Uh, so anyway, Hilda and her mom get back from town. Uh, Hilda sees the giant again and chases after him and finds out that he's been looking for someone. And she talks him through his emotions, says, like, you're holding on to something. You just need to go. And so giant says, OK, thanks for the advice and leaves. The next day, Hilda and Alfred go to this mountain to find the king. The king also doesn't want to, like, give up his claim and war on Hilda. Um, And in this, Hilda accidentally discovers a cave on the mountain, and she goes in and starts talking at it. And the mountain talks back. Long story short, she saves the king's castle from falling. Uh, The mountain wakes up. Turns out it's the giant that the other giant was looking for. Um... The king declares a truce. Hilda's happy. She doesn't have to move. The giants are happy and together. Hilda's mom and Twig run out of the house and they watch the giants walk away hand in hand, amazed. Um, And in the process, they step on Hilda's house, destroying it. At which point Hilda acquiesces like, "Mm, okay, we can move. (laughs) And that's the plot. And and the end of that plot they actually end up in Trollberg, moving in and settling in with Alpha. Now they're writing his first report on the big city and what it's like to be in the city. Um, and Hilda wondering if she'll ever have adventures again. And then we get the plot, I guess, the type B cliffhanger of a ah, scary bird going into lightning. Which done, we, done, don't, done. we don't know what that means, but we do know that it's something ominous. It's a wonderful we, bird. 
I, I feel like Netflix shows do best when they are type B cliffhangers, but all too often they're type A cliffhangers. And for those listeners, if this is your first time listening to us, a type A cliffhanger is when you don't finish the plot of the story and you leave the audience just hanging. So if things had happened and the end of the episode was their house getting smashed, <clears throat> our house is smashed. Type A cliffhanger. The type B cliffhanger resolves that, shows them moving in, and then starts off something new. The cliffhanger it's, is a new story is beginning. It's an emotional cliffhanger. Hilda thinks she'll never have adventures again, contrary to her character. <laughs> but she is safe and fine and in no danger. Whatsoever. Whatsoever. Uh, so, Chris, watching the episodes after reading the graphic novel, um, what did you notice that was different, and why do you think that was? Yes. What did I notice that was different? Um, beyond giving more time to things like the woodman and knowing that it's necessary because if you don't have the first story where we meet the woodman, uh, you have to find some way to introduce this character and get him in there. I love how they did it because of it's just it. It's ridiculous, but it's also grounded. Of, ah, oh, you let the woodman in again. And then, yeah, of course, he's just going to come and he brings the wood and he's whistling, which is all you think that he can do because of the, the design of the mouth. Like, oh, he's just going to be a character that just whistles because his mouth is in a big O shape. But then he talks and says other things and has an attitude, which he doesn't have in the graphic novel. But I just love the attitude they added. So just in general, because, because TV and film have actors performing, you can take even the same text and just make it different. And they added a lot for The Woodman. Um, I did appreciate the time spent on things like um, danger. Mm. I think Tell me more about that. It's the best way. Um, in the graphic novel, I'm trying to get there, so oops. in the graphic novel uh, we have this scene where they're having a tea party. Um, Hilda and her mom are, are having their tea party. And we see a shot of them asleep. A shot. We see a panel of them asleep. And then a panel of their window. And then a panel of a rock smashing through the window. And the rock then hits Twig. And then just a couple of rocks come in. And then an announcement voice comes out from nowhere. And their house starts getting smashed. On the next page, it's just chaos. So... In, in the TV show, it's a lot more like a horror movie. They expand it. You see the shadows of the hidden people with their little pointy hats entering in. You don't see them. You just see their shadows, which is a cool effect. Um, it happens slightly in the graphic novel. There's one instance of it in the graphic <clears throat> novel. But here it's every single little, um, little shadow going through. And you see them putting themselves in different places around the um around the house 
and then the TV static comes through and they make their announcement, which feels, you know, poltergeist-esque. I mean, it's just a good horror movie trope. And then it just goes into chaos as things start flipping and banging and crushing. So it's just a lot. It feels scary. Mm -hmm. So you're able to tap into the emotion of Hilda a lot more because of the tone that it can take, the angles, and the things that sound and the absence of sound can do. So there's no music during that. All you hear is the TV static going, and then it cuts out. Interesting. So you thought the action and danger sequences were done in a different way that was more engaging for the show. Yes, I do. Cool. That, that's, that's the biggest thing um, that I noticed. Um, the other thing that I would say is the sequence with the king at the end was another instance of making a great literary decision for a character to be responsible for something. And what I mean by that is, um, if we go back to our talk on The Little Mermaid, and I'm just doing this on, I know, so if we're looking at The Little Mermaid, because a lot of people have probably seen it, which is why I'm bringing this up. Here's this concept. Little Mermaid gets her voice stolen by Ursula, who puts it in this tiny shell. In The Little Mermaid film, Ariel's voice gets restored when that shell gets broken, but it's not Ariel who breaks that shell. It's not through any of her actions that it's restored. It's through the chance actions of somebody else. So in the graphic novel, towards the end, we have um, Hilda jumping on a, a wolf. Waif? Wolf? Waif? Waf? A wolf. She jumps on a wolf, those round puppy bear sperm like creatures. Dandelion seeds. Dandelion. Yeah. <laughs> They're cute. They're really I, I love the design of them anyway. I don't I'm not I'm not trying to insult them. But she falls off and she like it crashes into the mountainside and in the graphic novel this collision makes the snow fall and opens up the cave where the the ear to the giantess in the show it's different it's um she actually meets the king which she hasn't at this point met the king yet she meets the king the king refuses to talk to her and it's the third instance of the hand joke. So we end up with the, it's out of my hands and I don't even have hands. And that happens when she meets the mayor. That happens when she meets the prime minister. Now she's met the king. And now it's the third one. So it has to be different. So he says, it's out of my hands. And he slams the door to his castle. And Hilda shouts, And her shouting is what causes the avalanche, which reveals the cave. So it's, it makes her journey an uh, active participant a little bit more in, instead of just being this chance of finding the cave, it's, she's actually active in it. So she causes the avalanche that reveals the cave, and she causes the avalanche that lets her save the king to hopefully be restored to their house and not have to leave. Not to mention the joke just writes itself at that point. Right. <laughs> right. It, it is the thing. Like you're, you're expecting that. And when he closes the door, the audience is expecting, you know, but I don't even have hands. Yeah. I thought he's going to pop back out and say, but I don't even have hands. Like, ha ha ha. He popped back out. He almost forgot to say it. <laughs> 
<laughs> but no, she says it, she shouts it, and then there's that transformation, there's that change. Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think a lot of what I took away as differences that I noticed throughout it were more character changes. Hmm. Um, which I think more has to do with the experience of knowing the world and the characters and the story better now. I don't think these were changed for TV. It's just to make the characters cleaner and better. Um, in the graphic novel, like you mentioned, it begins with uh, Hilda saying, like, let's have a tea party. And they have a tea party and fall asleep. And in the show, they play some kind of Settlers of Catan knockoff board game and fall asleep to old Western movies, which is so much more Hilda as a character than, like, let's have a tea party. Right. Yeah, the tea party didn't feel right. I'm like, oh, that's a great change. Not for anything, just to make the character cleaner. Mm -hmm. Tells us more about her. She loves board games and old Western movies. And it says something about the relationship she has with her mom as well. Yeah. It's like not just like any daughter and mom, let's have a tea party. Yeah, or the fact that her mom would fall asleep on the couch both there watching the same thing. That's, that's a cool mom. Mm -hmm. That's a really cool mom. Who and, just knows mom at this point. Yes, and I love the mom. I love the mother character in this. She's, she's loving, but she's not controlling. Um, she's, she's cool. I like her. <laughs> She's cool. She's cool. <laughs> the other character moment that really jumped out at me that was different was in the graphic novel. Um, Alpher, I think, says he stayed after trashing the house because he couldn't get out or something. And he stuck around and heard them talking. And in the show, he says, oh, yeah, I am one of the elves that trashed your house, but I didn't do it. I'm more of a writer than a fighter. <laughs> it kind of establishes like he didn't do the trashing. He was just there. He was like documenting it. Which is Alfred's whole shtick. He documents and writes. So I thought that was a nice, like, cleaner moment as well. Well, he says here. If we go to the page. He says, I'm real sorry to disappoint. Listen, I'm an elf. One of the little people who rubbished your living room last night. Except I'm not. That is, I didn't do any of the rubbishing. I just came to watch. I'm more of a writer than a fighter, you see. Ah, uh, but he maybe thinking of the he just came to watch part. Right. Which is the difference. I came to watch what it What a jerk. Happen. Right. I just wanted to see it happen. And I do love Alpha in the series. The performance of Alpha is just... Uh, everybody in the show is so authentic and honest. It doesn't feel like something put upon. Like, even from... There's, there's the one line, it's a really ridiculous little line, but it's cooey, like, mm -hmm. hello. And <laughs> when he says it, it's just this sweet little, like, yes, of course he says cooey. Like, that's how he greets people. Cooey. And the graphic novel, you're just like, what is going on? Yes. And he didn't even stick out. Yeah. <laughs> Cooey. Cooey. <laughs> if it was like a sweet moment, like, here, piggy, piggy. I do appreciate how much time they spend actually seeing Alpha and the people that you get to, you spend a lot of time in their design the elf design changed considerably between the, the graphic novel and the show except for the main characters of the mayor the prime minister and the king those actually have some design but everyone else is basically um round with triangle bodies and triangle hats yeah i was amazed how much the mayor looked exactly the same the mayor and the mayor's cat. Yes, the mayor's <laughs> Angelica. Angelina. Angelina. She's heavily pregnant. <laughs> oh, oh, gross. <laughs> gross? Gross. Do you mean the Nittens? 
That cat gave birth in Hilda's hair. And then deflated like a balloon. Which you don't notice as much in the show. I had to rewatch it. In the graphic novel, it's really obvious. She's basically this limping sausage in, in the frame. And in the show, it's this throwaway thing. You don't even notice it. It's just this, like, joke that comes back in the second episode of, like, why are you scratching? Oh, you have knittens. And... I think the, see the, the Nittens do come back in a later episode, but I forget how and what episode. They do come back later. I can't, I don't know why. Oh, she has them for her science experiment or something. Oh, yeah. And they get out and um, everyone starts itching with Nittens. Right. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. I feel like it's a definite like science fair kind of thing. So there was one big, um, I think, character and plot change that really brought the story into focus for me. I don't know if you noticed this change, and it feels like the really big one for me. Mm -hmm. No pun intended. Of, I think you're about to, yes. <laughs> I know where you're going, and yes. So in the graphic novel, um, after Hilda first signs the contract to see the elf, she brings her mom outside. And her mom has her foot in one of the houses and Hilda's like, mom, you're standing right in it, but she can't see it. it's not hurting them. Um, and that's how she knows later, like, you don't hurt the elves until you sign the contracts. Otherwise, you just pass through their stuff. Right. In the show. Um, Twig comes with her and Twig has not signed the contract, so Twig can just jump through the houses and like not hit things and is passing through. So that's how she knows for later that things are fine. Um. And instead, we still get the mom moan, but it's at the very end of the second episode. Um, the giants step on Hilda's house, smashing it to smithereens, and you just see Hilda's mom, like, saying, oh, they didn't even know what they're doing. They didn't even know they stepped on it, and it pans down to see Hilda's mom with her and foot in one of the elves' houses. And Hilda noticing. Yes. Yeah. And that's the Hilda character moment of, like, And that works so well for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it cements something thematic that was there, but it just calls more attention to it in a in a better way. Yeah, that's the big one for me. Yeah, that that is one. Uh, the the other thing that. I noticed, and the thing that I wanted to say, um, that we get a lot more reaction in the show. By which I mean, it's the character's reaction to things that brings both comedy and story and sets the world. Because of Hilda's reactions to things or her mother's reactions to things, we are able to see clearly whether this is a natural occurrence, an everyday occurrence, something to be scared of, something that's fine, you know, based on the way they react to it. So, for, ex for example, we end up with the the giant. We see first see the giant. And Hilda's reaction is, oh, I need to get my sketchbook. So we know there's nothing dangerous about that. Because it is a scary image. You know. Yeah. <laughs> there's this big giant blocking at the moon. Two giant eyes that are glowing. This round, tall, <laughs> um, I don't even know how to describe. I'm I'm drawing a picture in 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 my in my space. Like he's, he's tall and really thin, but a rounded head. He's just kind of tombstone shaped. Yeah, tall like a stretched out tombstone. But you, it just looks. He doesn't have any pupils, so you can't see where he's looking. It's just this ghostly vacant expression 
and you don't know what it's there. And it just feels really, un- and I suppose not scary, but unsettling. But the fact that she's like, oh, I need to draw this, makes you feel, oh, it's fine. Um, which is different from the troll. You know, she's like, oh, look, a troll rock. And she ties a bell on the troll's nose. So if the troll rock wakes up, she knows to run. And then the bell rings and she freaks out. She's like, we, we have to go. <laughs> you know that trolls are actually dangerous or are seemingly dangerous. That Hilda thinks that they're dangerous. Yeah. And that, that's, there's another horror section <laughs> in terms of, oh, we're safe, we lost him. And then the bell ringing off screen. Like, oh, it's coming back. Ah! I was really surprised that Jack did not, as he is wont to do with scary things, run into the other room and run away from it. He was right there for it, ready to... Mm to see what happened next. So it, it speaks to the way their storytelling, that he was more pulled in than freaked out. <laughs> Pull in, don't freak out. So. Yeah, it definitely feels like with this world, things can be urgent, intense, but nothing is really dangerous. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I would agree with that, because when she just goes out and jumps on a waff to follow the giant the second time, which is in the book, or the graphic novel as well, almost exactly the same. You're just thinking like, oh, that kid made a smart move by jumping on the waff, not like that child jumped off a roof and could have died. Right. Where is she going? The giant's going to hurt her. And then they have a nice little sweet conversation. You know, and it also helps that Jorgen's voice is so calm. And I just want audiobooks read by Jorgen. Or I want Jorgen to have his own <laughs> podcast. You know, this is Midnight Giant, episode seven, you know. I mean, he did, but it was 4,000 years ago, so... I know, we missed it. Oh, I mean, Squarespace wasn't around to sponsor it, so it didn't last. This is Jorgen, my Squarespace website. So easy to update. <laughs> um, <laughs> anything else about the adaptation of Hilda and the Midnight Giant you think we should talk about? I think the other thing that that comes out that that I loved is the timing mm. of certain moments because they're they're exactly in the graphic novel how they're performed yeah um in the show timing wise the one that I know uh, big is the the one giant the the giant that was the mountain that is revealed to be the giant that waited for Jorgen is there, and he says, "You waited for me for four thousand years." She says, "Yep, not yes, but yep." And then he all he says is, "Wow." You waited for me for 4,000 years. Yep. Wow. The background color in the frame is this beautiful olive green as they're looking to each other. And then it shifts to just black behind them, which settles the whole thing down to just the wow all in caps, but with a period. Wow. It's just... It's, it's like a sunset, too, at that point. Like, at some point, some time must have passed for the sun to go down. Right. There was a moment, even just a brief moment. And it's just... That's how it is in the show. And so moments like that that 
you can read exactly um, what had happened. It's you read what you've already heard, or you know, you hear what you've already read. It's just the moments that they were able to capture that were these simple, essential moments that we didn't lose things like that in the adaptation. And it's rare that you're able to do those in a respectful, authentic way and not seem like, see, we've just put that frame on the screen. It looks the same. Ha ha ha. You know? Yeah. Like we, we <clears throat> recreated that, that frame as opposed to something that's authentic there. In conclusion, Hilda's interesting because for the most part, they don't change anything that doesn't need to be reinvented, but they do change things that um, make it cleaner for TV and show a maturity of the story idea. Yes. And they, they added things such as being introduced to David and Frida. So that way we know that this story is about Hilda's life in Trollberg and we get introduced to them so that way when we meet them again in the following episodes it's not um, thrown off so it becomes narrative which I think is the biggest we get a through line through the season yeah I agree I think that's the other big thing you know looking past these first two episodes they do set up what's going to come later on. Yeah, the show isn't about Hilda. It's about Hilda and the people around her and the places around her. But that would be a terrible title. Hilda and the people around her and the places around her. Or for short, Hilda Folk. Oh, well done. It's like I read the title of the comic book series. <laughs> I'm so proud. Thank you. So Mackenzie, did you have a favorite thing from either the graphic novel or the show or one of from both or each? Mm. I think for me, my favorite thing we've already talked about, it's the moment in the show where Hilda's mom has her foot in the house and it pulls together the giant folk and the little folk and the medium folk. Just everything coalesces into Hilda realizing um, her place in the world where she isn't quite as alone and isolated as she wants to be, so they may as well move to the city. The house! Everything! It's gone! It's all gone! They haven't even noticed what they've done. For me, it's one of the added moments for uh, the Woodmen. They in the graphic novel, she already knows the woodman, so she says, I know who could probably help us with the giant. And so she goes to go to his house in the woods. But in the TV show, since we just met him, she follows him. She's like, I need, I need your help. I need to go. And he's like, I didn't come here for the conversation. <laughs> and she follows him through the woods. And she gets to his house. And he closes the door on her. And she knocks. Oh, it's still you. I saw you reading a book on giants the other night. You're very observant. Thank you. It's unnerving. Come in. And the other, just the other thing that they added where they're moving, and she's like, you know, I'm going to miss you. It'll make me glad to think that there are people like you still out here. And he says, well, that's comforting for, <laughs> for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh. It's just one little thing to undercut to put, you know, the cynical world we live in back into. Even, even fantastical creatures have like sarcasm. Yeah. And it's just great. Well, shall we talk uh, homework time for next time? Let's. For your homework. We want to talk about Lego Movie 2, the second part. 
I think that's the, the subtitle, isn't it? Yeah, the Lego Movie 2 colon the second part. So go watch that. We'll talk about it. We'll see if everything continues to be awesome or if it's just different. As the trailers imply, everything was awesome. <laughs> so go see that. We'll talk about that next time. I'm excited to see it. Lego Movie was one of the most surprising films I've seen in a long time in terms of enjoying it. Maybe this one will get the Oscar nomination it deserves. Maybe it will. Travesty. Travesty upon travesty. I wonder what those guys are going to you know, do with their lives. Are they going to do something else? Lord and Miller? Yeah, they're going to, you know... Try for something else. Lego know. Spider-Man movie. Lego Spider-Man movie. That sounds great. Feels like it fit in with both Lego and the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> As always, thank you to you, our dear listeners, for listening, and to our sound engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. If you, our dear listeners, want to catch us on the web, tell us what you think about Hilda. Share the love. Hilda gifts are always wanted. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated or on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. Or you can go to writersgetanimated.podbean.com for our show notes. A twist. Yes. It's a new place. It's a new place to find our show notes. So writersgetanimated.podbean.com Podbean! Is that their thing? Podbean? I I don't know, but I'm making a jingle for them. We're going to try a new jingle every episode for Podbean. That sounds great. They're not paying us. We're paying them. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, good night, everybody.